You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's July 26th. Boris Johnson became Britain's new prime minister this week. He will now seek to lead the country through a period as challenging as the Suez Crisis, or perhaps even World War II. Johnson's greatest advantage is his political skill, says Rand's Charles Rees, and he'll need that skill to overcome many challenges, not the least of which is Brexit. Yesterday, Johnson's first full day in office, he urged the EU to reconsider its stance against reopening Brexit negotiations. As of now, the UK-EU divorce will take place on October 31st. By this date, the UK may have to agree to leave under the terms previously negotiated by Theresa May. Otherwise, it risks crashing out of the EU with no deal at all, a scenario that RAND research has found could cost the British economy $140 billion over the next 10 years. At the end of the day, Johnson could find himself stuck in the same political box that confined his predecessor. That's one of Brexit's many ironies, says Rees. Brexiteers like Johnson argued that breaking away from the EU would allow London to take back control from Brussels. But as the UK's new leader ascends to power, he will have much less control than he would like. Earlier this month, Rand hosted a unique event with the nonprofit organization Girl Security. The goal was to introduce teen girls to wargaming and hopefully to inspire some of tomorrow's national security leaders. At the event, the girls played a game developed just for them by women researchers here at RAND. They role-played both sides of a fictional conflict on the Korean peninsula. The girls acted as generals for the day, making critical life-and-death decisions. Along the way, they learned about strategy, asymmetric warfare, and just how dire a scenario like this would be in real life. Maybe most importantly, the experience gave them confidence. As one of the girls said, it helped me find my voice. NPR's Weekend Edition was there to capture some of the sights and sounds of the day. Visit npr.org to hear from some of our researchers and from some of the participants themselves. Are America's educators satisfied with the training they receive before stepping into the classroom? Do they feel prepared to teach and lead a diverse student body? We recently surveyed teachers and principals across the country to find answers to these questions and more. The educators who participated in our survey generally said that their training programs were effective, but they also indicated that preparation is lacking in some areas, most notably with regard to teaching and leading diverse students. When compared with their non-white peers, white teachers and principals said that they felt less prepared to support black, Latino, and low-income students. Training programs, then, could benefit from a stronger focus on the needs of a student body that's diverse, in terms of race and ethnicity, social class, and students with high-needs disabilities. Recent reports have shed light on the troubling conditions facing migrant children detained at the U.S.-Mexico border. There have been descriptions and images of hordes of children sleeping on the floor huddled together under nothing but mylar blankets. This week, RAND experts wrote about one often overlooked detail of these reports. The children are required to sleep under glaring lights. This can have profound effects on sleep, as well as physical and mental health. 
a lack of sleep may hinder the children's ability to function physically and mentally, especially under stressful conditions. As Congress, DHS, and other stakeholders grapple with solutions to this crisis, turning down the lights should be a critical part of the discussion. A recent RAND study found that Americans under the age of 26 are much more likely to have been arrested than those born in previous decades. This rise in arrest rates is affecting all races and genders, but the increase has been most rapid among whites and women. What's causing this trend? That's still unclear. What the study does have data to support, however, is a link between education and arrest rates. 60% of those we studied who had less than a high school degree had been arrested at least once by age 26. This was mostly true for both white and black groups. Arrest rates were significantly lower for college graduates. One other thing made clear by this study is that being arrested at a young age can have long-term consequences. It may mean earning a lot less money, for example. Those who were arrested at least once in their younger years earned an average of $180,000 less over the course of their lifetime. And those lifetime earnings are even lower by another $275,000 for those who were arrested more than once. In the past year alone, there have been shootings at more than 30 U.S. schools. A group of experts, including several RAND researchers, wrote a piece earlier this month that raised an important question. Given the suicides that followed the Parkland, Virginia Tech, Columbine, and Sandy Hook shootings, is enough being done to support the mental health needs of survivors of school shootings? And what about the schools and communities where those shootings happen? These tragedies can lead to depression, addiction, and PTSD in addition to suicide. But there's no blueprint to follow after a shooting. To help survivors along the road to recovery, schools and communities need to be able to deliver effective, evidence-based mental health treatment. And it's important that this kind of support is available in the long term, not just in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.